Hello, hello, hello on tonight. Listen, this is uh, Antoinette from Little Angels Drop-In LLC. And on tonight, we're going to be talking a little bit about the childcare industry. We're going to talk about the um, housing industry. And with those coincide together, I also found out a little bit more information. I'm going to talk about something that I found out on today as I was reading up on what I was going to talk about on tonight. So I'm going to start with tonight with the article that's pertaining to child care first. And so I found an article from August the 23rd, 2021, and it's coming out of the fortune.com. Okay, you can go there and you can look for this, and it's dated for August the 23rd, 2021. It's by Myra Aspirin. And in here, this is the title of the article. It's Big Daycare, the solution to American childcare woes, or is it risky to mix profits and toddlers? Okay, and I'm, a, I'm not going to read all the article. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about the article as well. And this is what it's saying. Um, Kate Madola, an all-too-common childcare problem, started long before the pandemic. This is a parent. She's a senior sales manager for a multinational manufacturing company, was 35 and living in her native St. Louis in 2017. When she had her first child, after three months of maternity leave, she was ready to return to the office if she could just find an affordable, convenient child care center for her son. But many daycare facilities don't accept infants and toddlers because it's so expensive to hire enough people to responsibly watch them. There was a waiting list for years, recall Madela. Um, if I'm Madola, if I'm saying it right, a fiercely practical MBA holder and a marathon thoner who husband and event producer who runs his own business doesn't get paid leave. Eventually, the couple found out opening at St. Louis Center run by Kindercare, the nation's largest for profit child care provider, which serves more than 126,000 children and it's 2,000 plus locations. It wasn't a perfect solution, Medola says. The staff turnover seemed high, and as time went on, she had a daughter move to Phoenix and enroll both kids in another kinder care. She found herself paying more than 2,500 a month or more than my mortgage. But it was a national company which promised a certain standardized level of care for a while. It was the best option she could find. As a working mother, she says, this is necessary for me to succeed. Then the COVID-19 pandemic came crashing across the U.S. Kindercare, like most schools and childcare providers of any size, shut down many of its centers. And suddenly, the system that had sustained Medola's career and that of most U.S. working mothers had its fundamental weaknesses exposed in a massive public explosion. Explosion, if I'm saying it correct. More than two million women left the paid labor force entirely, erasing more than three decades worth of employment gains. Most of them still haven't returned today. A year and a half into the pandemic and rising uncertainties about the weather, the Delta variant will continue to keep schools and offices closed this fall. And whether it would be safe for unvaccinated children to return to child care centers, trying to resume operating at full capacity. Those women who did manage to keep working during during the um let me go back and whether it be safe for unvaccinated children to return to child care centers trying to resume op operating at a full capacity those women who did manage to keep 
Dealt to keep work endured as an unsubstantial hell of trying to meet deadlines while changing dapples, diapers, or breastfeeding, toddling between running zone meetings and assisting teacher zone kindergartens, and swimming through endless feelings of failure. I was working at a 5 a.m. and at 8 p.m. until 8 p.m. When I was working, I felt like I should have been a mother, and when I was being a mother, I should have been working, Madonna say. It was terrible. Today, the crumbling of the nation's childcare infractions a crisis that has been exacerbated, though not created by the pandemic, has become an accepted fact recognized by Fortune 500 employers and top policies as well as parents, caretakers, and childcare providers caught in the destruction. Childcare is at the center of a large car-taking crisis that has disproportionately hurt women who should still shoulder the vast majority of unpaid labor in the U.S. households that created what the White House has declared to be a national emergency in women's employment. That emergency has fueled the Biden administration sweeping if tennis proposals to overhaul the country's highly fragmented childcare industry, which ranges from individuals, nannies, and small in-home or community-based operations to private equities, own kinder care and a handful of other national for-profits providers of center-based care. The other big center-based companies include private equity, excuse me, own learning care groups and publicly traded Bright Horizons, which together have capacity for more than 250,000 children at about a thousand locations each. And unlike many of the smaller providers, these companies offer often offer large centers with long hours, more locations, flexibility, and promise of standardized curriculum, allowing it to serve a wider swath of U.S. Uh, parents. Listen, as we continue with this, and this article is long, I'm not going to read all of it, but I just wanted you to hear of some of what's still actually happening, what has uh, devastated from last year with COVID coming in February or March of last year, and it's right on now, it's now a variant warrant that they say that they have out which is another strain of this disease. And the thing about it is you have so many women that have walked away from the work industry. Why? Because they're having to care for their kids. Daycares have changed. The children cannot come back to full capacity yet because now we're dealing with this other thing with this fair warrant screen of COVID. And it continues and continues as well. I just wanted to read this article to let you know that there's still a crisis with childcare. Whether they want to talk about it or not, whether the news talks about it or not, here on my podcast, with Little Angels Drop In LLC, I'm going to continue to talk about this and raise the covers on it. Why? Because you have a lot of single parents that don't have care for their children. They're leaving their children in the hands of people that's not qualified to keep them. They're just leaving them because they know they have to go to work and they won't have any food on their table if they don't go to work. So this is just a continuous crisis. I hope that this country will be able to come together, sit down, get some solutions and matters created so that they can. And this is the reason why before this pandemic started, I opened a little drop ins LLC because I knew that something was going to take place. But I got my direction from God to do this. And it was a purpose for it to open it up so it would be able to help serve families for the ones that need it. She said she paid two thousand five hundred dollars a month for child care. That's more than what her mortgage is. Come on, people. But, you know, we look at bigger with kinder care and all these corporations. But what about the quality of the kids? Now, I've worked in kinder care. I worked in kinder care during my college years. I didn't stay there long, but I did go in there for probably maybe about a year. 
And huh, I don't know what it's like now, but I did do that for a year while I was in um, college, undergrad. So big companies and things like this, they can have all these buildings and stuff in a thousand locations. But what about the quality and the quality of the care of the children? It's not about the quantity, but what about the quality? So I'm going to leave that article with you on tonight so you can think about what I've said. You will have to go back and listen to the beginning of the podcast. Now I'm rolling on over to the analysis for the black mortgage applicants in North Carolina, South Carolina, more likely to be denied. I'm going to read you some of this. I got this out of the news in Azerba. It is in the Sunday, August 29th paper. Okay. I have the news in Azerba delivered to my door. Why am I doing this? Because people need to know what's actually going on. Some people are not watching the news. Some people are not even reading the newspaper. So guess what? It came to my front door and I think I need to share this because we need to know, we need to be aware of what's going on with the industry. Because I know here in Durham, North Carolina, they have houses that are selling for millions and millions of dollars. Okay. I remember when Woolsworth was downtown in 1990, when I first came to Durham for college. If you go to uh, downtown Durham now, you wouldn't think that's the same place. I'm telling you. So the reason why I'm doing this is because you need to know. You need to know the knowledge and the things that you need to know pertaining to this situation. And that's the reason why I have this article in front of me. The analysis, black mortgages, applicants in North Carolina and South Carolina more likely to be denied. This article is by Lori Lindstrom, Hannah Lang and David Rayner. Okay. They all work for the, um, I think they work for the Charlotte Observer. It says in the news observer, okay? So if you want to reach out to them, you can go to Lindstrom at charlotteobserver.com. Um, uh, I think langcharlotteobserver.com and uh, drainer, Raymer at newsandobserver.com, okay? And this is what it says. Black applicants in eight metro areas in North Carolina and South Carolina are more likely to be denied home loans than white applicants with similar financial profiles. A new investigation on racial disparities in the lending industry says in the Raleigh Cary metropolitan statistical area, for instance, black applicants was twice as likely to be denied a loan. White applicants, the markup, a nonprofit newsroom concluded with data analysis. The local findings mirror disparities seen through much of the U.S. and challenged the industry long-time explanation that higher denial rates are attributed to differences in financial characters characteristics, not race. The markup says that black Latinos and Asians prospectus borrowers were denied at higher rates than white applicants, despite similar lending qualifications, such as debt to ratio, income rate, debt to income ratio, and the size of a loan relative to, re, relative to the value of the house that they are trying to buy. In 89 metropolitan areas in the United States, racial or ethnic minority applicants were more likely to be denied conventional mortgages than similarly qualified white applicants according to the 2019 federal data from the Home Mortgage Disclosure Act. The markup, which was co-published the investigation Wednesday with the Associated Press, shared its data with journalists nationwide, including the News and Observer and the Charlotte Observer, among the eight finding. Among the findings, eight metropolitan areas in Carolinas have statistically, statistically significant disparities between white applicants and applicants of color. That including Raleigh. My goodness. And so let's get on over here and I'm going to read a little bit more. Wilmington in Florida has the great Wilmington in Florence 
had the greatest disparities for North and South Carolina, where black applicants were 2.4 times, 2 point, and 2.5 times as likely to be denied than similarly qualified white applicants, respectively. Greensboro High Point has the highest statistically significant disparities for Latino applicants in the Carolinas. They were 2.7 times as likely to be denied as white applicants. The echo, the ethrorhythms, if I'm saying that right, used by the lenders contribute to the disparities because it highly favored traditional credit to which white Americans have historically had greater access, the reports reporting found. Applicants' credit scores were not included in the data analysis because federal officials omitted them from the HMDA disclosure, citing borrowers' privacy. The Mortgage Bankers Association criticized Markup's finding issuing a written response saying that its research approach was fraud and biased and a more balanced approach would have considered borrowers' credit scores, for example. For example, the national organization said the issue around the lack of affordable housing and the black home ownership gap are real. And our members are committed to doing all we can to address them. The trade association statement said including credit scores was impossible because they stripped from data available to the public. Marco wrote in the response in part due to the mortgage industry lobbying, citing, citing borrowers privacy. A history of discrimination. Home ownership is considered a major factor in building generational wealth and is often the largest investment a household makes. Persistent racial disparities in lending has lasting effects on families' financial stability. Decade after race, racial discrimination in housing was outlawed with the 1968 Fair Housing Act, experts say. A history of discriminatory conditions allowed many white families to build the type of generational wealth over decades that can boost traditional measures of credit worthiness. Today, said Rochelle Sparkle, director of North Carolina Policy at the Center for Responsible Lending, a nonprofit research and policy group based in Durham, North Carolina. For example, she said loan applicants of color are more likely to be saddled with student, student loan debt that can hurt their credit rating or make it more difficult to save for a down payment. You can't just change the rules and accept everything to work out after decades of helping white families, she said. When people of color are denied loans while similarly qualified white borrowers are accepted, it deprives those households of the opportunity to build wealth and stability, Davis said. My goodness. So an organization like Greensboro-based housing consultant group are working to close the gap on the local level. Black applicants in the Greensboro and High Point metro area were 1.8 times as likely to be denied loans as similar as white counterparts in 2019. The news outlet data says the same year the housing nonprofit in the city of Greensboro lodged 100 homes go to help first-time home buyers with down payments and navigating the process the analysis found. The program helped. 317 households closed on a home in 2019 and 347 in 2020. Nearly three quarters of them people of them people of color. But the issue goes beyond individual programs, says Sophia Chris, the organization founder and executive director. Fair housing needs to be a constant discussion, she says. So it is on the mind of realtors and on the mind of lenders to say what you do. What you do has consequences, and if you do something that is deemed to be violation of fair, act, fair housing, there are repercussions. There's no one simple, no one simple solution to address racial disparities in mortgage lending. Spiral said, eliminating student debt will make a significant impact 
For many borrowers of color, she said, the City for Responsible Lending is also advocating for more rigorous enforcement of Fair Housing Act. Unfortunately, she said it would take more than race-neutral lending policy to level the playing field. And if you have any questions, you can call David Rayner, 919-829-4798, or you can reach him at CRDDRayner, which I gave you his email earlier. I wanted to read that. Why am I talking about this? Because a lot of young people don't think that they should invest in a house. And I just want to say on tonight, you can pay $1,200, $1,400 a month to rent a two-bedroom apartment or $1,200 a month for a one-bedroom apartment. You can afford a house. You know, sometimes we look at the upkeep for things, but I tell you what, one thing I learned that when I had purchased a house, I put my taxes and everything in with my mortgage. Why did I do that? And my insurance. Because I knew if I made that one payment, all of that would be taken care of and I wouldn't have to worry about anything else but getting that, um, the, the yard cut. Uh, making sure that I kept the upkeep of the house, having the house pressure washed, um, you know, doing the outside things as well as the upkeep of a home. But I'm going to tell you something that is a wealth process for your family. That is, uh, as I read in the article, it is a gap for our people because sometimes our people don't have an understanding of home ownership. They don't understand of what it is that you should do as far as owning a home. But let me tell you something. That's one of the greatest investments that you can make because it is a, it's, it's wealth. So I want you to know that as well. And one more thing before I get ready to go. I found this article about North Carolina. North Carolina, the topic says, <laughs> an article popped up on my phone today and it said North Carolina is the worst place to work in America. Now y'all, I don't know about y'all, but I'm from North Carolina. And it's time now that North Carolina break the barriers off of everything that they're doing and all of this stuff. Why am I talking like this? <laughs> because when I finish reading a little bit of this article, you'll understand why. This article is by Lane Toss, September the 6th, 2021. Ooh, it came out yesterday. The minimum wage is so low in North Carolina that as a single mom would need to work 80 hours across four jobs to cover the basic cost of a family of four. North Carolina, uh, minimum wage, $7.25 minimum wage, poor unemployment benefits and lack of workers protection. Landed is dead last on a recent ranking of the best and the worst, worst places to work because of legalizing a property wage compounded by the rising housing costs. Zero accommodation for pregnant workers, no paid family leave, and no state laws protecting victims of sexual harassment, existing rights to work laws, suppress the state law labor unions, which are prohibited for public sectors. Employees, meaning teachers, are unable to collective bargain for better pay or benefits. The Southeast ranked far behind the rest of the country in terms of working conditions. <laughs> y'all, let me tell you something. Why did I read y'all this? Because... <laughs> We need some new people in legislation here in North Carolina. We need some things to be done. And it's, it, it's, it needs to be a change here. There's no way that a family can be raising a family off the minimum wage of $7.25. Not even a single parent with one child. That means that that parent would be barely able to pay rent. Why am I talking about this? Because it's ridiculous. 
You know, I hear people making comments on Facebook and um, on my timeline and stuff saying people need to go back to work. Now you got some people that wants to pay $15 when it should have been already been doing that before this pandemic came. But what's happening now is this country is short of workers. And the reason why it is, is because of how they treat the workers. You know, we, it comes a time that we got to recognize that the employees are as important as the CEOs because without the employees, you don't have a company. I don't know how many times I have to voice that. I don't know how many times I have to say that, but I wanted to read you this. North Carolina is the worst place to work in America. There's a problem with the headship here in this state. And y'all, I'm telling you, it's going to come a time that we're going to have to vote. No, I'm not a legislative. I am in charge of Little Angels Drop-In LLC. And I am giving you this information. Why? Because you need to know what's going on. It is time now, as we as a people, we need to get up, do some things, go to these polls and vote and stop making excuses that I don't have a ride to have Uber and Lyft. And I'm sure they're going to be giving free rides when it's time to go to these polls. But it needs to be some changes made here in North Carolina. It's too much conservative here. They are continuing to oppress and depress the people. And it is not good. And it's not God. So I want you to think about what I'm saying on this podcast tonight. North Carolina is the worst place to work in America. A single mother with four, a family of four, will have to work. (laughs) she would have to work at least 80 hours and also she would have to uh to cover the basic cost of a family of four this is ridiculous and you know what these companies these ceo companies and all of you you make your money you do this you know whatever you call it but at the end of the day it is about families if we have not learned anything else during COVID 19 in this pandemic It is about families and making things work for them so that they can rest at night, so that their children can enjoy their homes. It should not be where North Carolina is still paying a $7.25 minimum wage. And they wonder why they don't have nobody working at Burger King in these places. Yeah, Wendy's paying $10. But let me tell you something. I was making $10 over 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, I'm talking to somebody today because I don't think people quite understand it. And the leadership, it starts with y'all. You need to get somewhere and get a plan and talk to these organizations and these CEOs that want to make all the money and don't want to pay the employees. Why am I voicing and vocal like this tonight? Because I've been on the other side of making $10 an hour, 40 hours a week. Back then, the cost of living wasn't as high as it is now. We got triple the, the cost of living now. You got million dollar houses in downtown Durham. You got homeless people walking around. People can't, don't have enough affordable housing. It has to be a change here. It has to be a change in North Carolina. Why am I saying this? Because North Carolina is the worst place to work in America. And that is not good. We are behind. We've been behind for too long. And it's time now that they stop oppressing and depressing the people. I just want to say that on tonight on my podcast. I want you to think about everything I talked about. From the child care to the housing crisis to 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 the discrimination with uh, blacks, with housing in North Carolina and South Carolina, Florence, South Carolina, Wilmington, North Carolina. Oh, I'm talking about this tonight because the children, the housing, and now working. All three of them work coincide. All three of them work together because you know what? If the children 
can't be comfortable with where they stay. If the parents is not comfortable enough to stay on a job that's not paying them nothing and they can barely make ends meet and they're struggling, it needs to be a change here in North Carolina. No, I'm not a politician, but I'm just speaking truth. It has to be a change and it's going to start with the leadership. It's going to start with this, this stuff with these Democrats and Republicans. I told, I'm, I, you know, I'm not a politician, but I'm just talking truth on tonight. It needs to be a change. It has to be. These families got to be able to survive, to raise their children and do what they need to do. They should have an opportunity if they want to buy a house and it doesn't have to be. Uh, uh, they got to put down a twenty thousand dollar down payment. Foolishness like that. Let these loans go. I'm talking to the president now too. Joe Biden, get something in place to release the debt off these people. Release it. Because that's where the generation of gap is coming into with wealth. Because so many of them, which is me, have college.